He was a morbidly obese surgeon destined for an operating table and an early death. Now he's a rebel MD who is fabulously fit and fighting to make America healthy again. This is Stay Off My Operating Table with Dr. Philip Ovedia. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast. This is part two of our interview with Texas Slim. Last time, we had the most extraordinary technical problems I have ever seen. I've done probably 200 of these episodes, of these podcasts and have never seen anything like that. It made me think maybe uh, Texas Slim is rattling the right cages. What is it they say when you're taking, if you're taking flack, you must be over the target. I think we're over the target. So welcome back, Slim. Hey, how's it going, Jack? Glad to have, uh, glad to be back so far. Knock on wood. Technology is looking good today. (laughs) It seems to be. Um, Phil, last time what we talked about was how Texas Slim got to where he was. And uh, we, we were setting the table for, to me, what seems to be the most interesting, intriguing, really, idea um, that brings together the world of food production and metabolic health. So I think we should just dive right in. Yeah, I agree. I think last time we set the sort of framework uh, for understanding how our food system has been manipulated and captured and the impact that that is having on our health. And we were just starting to get into some discussions about what we might be able to do about that and really what each of us as individuals should be doing about that. So uh, I'm going to let Slim kind of take it from there and we're going to cover, you know, how we start getting ourselves out of this problem and why this is so important to our health. Yeah. um, As far as, you know, where this has come, you know, as far as true understanding what food intelligence is, again, understanding where are the source of the seed of our nutrition is the source of the seed of our health. And a lot of people don't realize that and how it's been manipulated. So as we've moved forward with food intelligence into the beef initiative, you know, I've been working with a lot of regenerative people in regenerative agriculture from ranchers to, you know, grass farmers, animal protein producers. And so by saying that, you know, what we really want to do is do a vertical integration into our food supply, into the, the, the source of the seed, which starts with the soil and then to the grass and then to the cow, to the producer, to the processor, to the supplier, to market access back into uh, human health in overall really becoming more of a health initiative than anything. And it it being done by being able to control every one of those touch points in a way of education and access to it. And by doing that, you know, we're leading with pure animal protein 
And that's, in my mind, the best form of uh, education for health that we have right now because of the lies of the past, you know, the cholesterol lies and everything that's been manipulated. We're able to really tie these together to where people can understand them and they can have access to be able to make that happen for their family, for their own selves and, you know, anybody else that they care to share, you know, how they're actually living as far as sourcing their food. Let me, let me jump in because you've said something and you said it a couple of times in the previous podcast and you said it again and I realized there's something that's not clicking for me. Sure. You talked about the vertical integration of our food supply chain and I, as I understand it, part of the problem that we're dealing with is a handful of companies own they have vertically integrated the food chain. Mm-hmm. They they own it from the seed to the, I guess, to the wholesaler, maybe even the retailer. Um, how is, how is a different kind of vertical integration going to help? Is that even a good question? It seems like that's no, the, it, it is. No, it's a good way to form some clarity around what I'm saying. Whenever I say vertical integration, I'm talking about regenerative agriculture regenerative agricultural uh, vertical integration, not a global food supply vertical integration of our food supply. Yeah, they've got it. They've got every bit of it from the soil to, you know, from the lab (laughs) to the soil, to the seed, to the grass. I mean, they own every touch point, you know, and if you follow that in which a lot of people do in the United States of America this time, because you go to the grocery store, you know, you're, 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 being part of that vertical integration because they are the supplier, they are the processor, they are the market access to that food that they call, well, what they call food at this point in time. Whenever you do a vertical integration into the regenerative agricultural model, what you're doing is you're one, you're educating what, where food really comes from. And then, you know, doing the vertical integration into the soil, you're understanding what's good actually for our soil and for our grasslands. And basically if it's good for the grasslands, it's good for the cow. What's good for the cow is good for the producer. And once you get into that understanding of, you know, who's producing your food, well, then who's processing your food? Well, now we're going to have vertical integration to the processing centers in the state of Texas to where we can take that from that soil to that grass to that cow from that producer, that producer is going to have different options now to be able to use different producers. Whenever you're able to use a micro or a regional producer, you are now, you can become a supplier. Therefore, you're creating your own market access and you're not relying on the market access of the industrial food complex. It is that basically has captured every one of those touch points. So, yeah, and I would... I was just going to jump in and say one more thing in that the system right now has been vertically vertically integrated around the financial health of these companies. And that is really the only concern. And the physical health of the end user of the food, you and I, um, is really not factored into the equation. And the financial health of the producers and the ranchers is not factored into that equation. And quite frankly, the health of the animals and the health of the land that the animals are being raised on is, you know, minimal, minimally uh, factored in, if at all. You know, they know they can't sell outwardly sick animals, uh, but they really, uh, you know, are not focused on that. And they're not focused on the health of the land. And I think, you know, what what, uh, Slim is trying to do here is to, you know, 
recenter the system and have it vertically integrated, taking into effect, you know, our health as the end user of the product, the health of the animals being raised, the health of the land that the animals are being raised upon, and at the same time benefiting, you know, the ranchers and the producers. Uh, and it turns out that those things can all interact very well. But what they don't do is serve the financial health of the big corporations. Right. And that's, I think, what we're trying to uh, trying to undo here, trying to refocus the system on. So I, I think I've got a pretty clear idea of the nature of the problem, and it's much bigger, much more pervasive than I initially thought. So as somebody who's kind of got a lifelong history of being a radical individualist, my first question is, how do I get out of that silo that has been constructed by these megalithic food corporations? How do we, and, and by I, I mean, each of us as individuals, sure. I guess that's what you're, where we're going with the beef initiative, but, but walk, walk us through it. Yeah, it, it is, you know, people get overwhelmed. It, you know, you're trying to solve everything all at once. That's just not going to happen for one. The best thing that I lead with, because this is the most important thing that people need to understand, is you need to find out who your local animal protein producers are. And, you know, if you're living in a place that you can do that, you know, if you're living, you're not in the middle of downtown Manhattan, that's going to be a little bit different. <laughs> but if you're living, I'll just give an example in Texas, you know, you need to go and find your local rancher. You need to search them out and you need to go shake their hand. And then once you've made that commitment to understand who he is, she is, they are, then what you can do is you can begin the conversation saying, I want to know everything that you do and how you do it. Would you educate me? Wow. I want to know. And you know oh, what? I they're love gonna, that. They're going to tell that rancher is going to tell you everything that he does and how he does it because he's proud of it and he's heritage and it's tradition. And you're going to go down a rabbit hole of education that's going to lead you, lead you into that vertical integration that I just spoke of you're going to learn about the soil you're going to learn about the grass you're going to learn about the cow and here we go we're off to something and what you're going to do is you're going to start sharing that information you're going to understand there's a different way to source my animal protein once you figure that out that you can do that and it's not that difficult and if you don't have the means guess what you can come to the beef initiative and you can find a producer that you want to use that you're, you know, is trusted, you know, if there's aren't, they're on the beef initiative, they're trusted and you can reach out to those producers and you can say, Hey, I live here. I live wherever I want to know what you're doing. And they're going to talk to you. I, and, I want to tell you, I, I, after our first conversation, what was it? 10 days ago, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, that was on a Thursday. I went to my local farmer's market on Saturday. I told my wife, we're going to go meet some, some animal produce, some, some protein mm -hmm. producers. And I shook the hands of, I don't know, four or five folks who sold everything from uh, locally produced cheese and eggs to um, lamb and pork and, and cows and chickens. And I think turkey and emu too, although I wasn't interested in either of those. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was really cool to, you know, shake their hands, introduce myself um, and find out, you know, where exactly where they were from and just very brief kind of stuff. 
not remotely the depth that you just spoke of. But when I got home and we sat down to eat, um, I have a I have a blessing that I always speak over our food over our food. And part of that blessing goes like this. We acknowledge that this food comes to our table through the love, labor, and sacrifice of many. And as I spoke those words, it had a whole different experience. It was a whole different experience for me in that moment, having met those folks just a few hours earlier and realized the the meat that I'm eating here was was provided by folks just like this. It, it was it was quite the experience and I recommend it. <laughs> I recommend it to all the listeners just for the experience that I had. And I hadn't even I haven't done this Mm-hmm. No question. Them. So, I, I I I say that to simply uh, uh, underline what you said. Go meet you. No, I think that's great feedback. And you know, you just popped about four or five flashbacks in my head of you know doing that growing up. People would bring beef by our house and saying, "Hey, this was from so and so. Oh, how's he doing? You know, he's out here in you know Happy Texas. He's doing okay. He had a good year with his cattle, and that that was part of our conversations that we had growing up. And it is different whenever you trust it. You have no doubts about it. It brings something to your dinners." into your, you know, feeding of your family that is not there, that has been lost. And that takes you down that rabbit hole into a health initiative that this nation needs right now. And that's what I love about this. Well, let's, let's talk about this idea of food sovereignty. You use that phrase in a lot of your writing. Mm -hmm. Would you expand on that? Well, once the, the way I look at it is whenever you understand where your food truly comes from, what you've done, you set up an algorithm or a protocol that you live by that basically gives you a form of sovereignty that you've never had in your life for the most part. For most consumers in the United States of America, we have no say so. Throughout the years, especially since the 70s, every one of those touch points that gave us that food sovereignty has been deleted and they've been taken over by the big processors, by the big market access um, purveyors of selling, you know, food from the supermarkets. A lot of people don't realize, you know, at the end of the at the end of the gold standards in the 70s, that's when the supermarket really was created hand in hand with us creating these big mega, you know, fake commodities that have metabolically bankrupted our nation. So, you know, by saying that. That's a brilliant phrase. Metabolically bankrupted. You know who I got that from? I love that. You know who I got that from? Dr. Uh, Phil Ovedia. Phil Ovedia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Early in our talks, Phil brought that up. And I said that I think I wrote about that the next week in my Substack. So I'll let you kind of take it from there, Phil. <laughs> yeah. You know, like we uh, touched upon uh, earlier in the conversation, I think uh, during last week, uh, during part one, uh, you know, we just see how when the food supply started getting manipulated, uh, that's when our health uh, started deteriorating. And, you know, as everything you're saying about food sovereignty are the things that I talk about in terms of health sovereignty and, you know, realizing 
how each one of us as individuals needs to take back control of our health and needs to realize that, you know, the the systems that have been set up are not keeping us healthy uh, and they're not going to make us healthy. They're there to take care of us when we are sick for the most part. And we really need to get back to these basics. And, you know, as you talked about the way that your grandparents, your great grandparents, uh, you know, had to solve these problems uh, to get people more high quality protein are really the same problems that we need to solve again today and get people more high quality protein and get them back their food sovereignty, which is going to allow them to reclaim their health sovereignty as well. Yeah, and once once you start that um, that effect, you build that momentum up to where a lot of people have a hard time, you know, tackling a health problem, you know, from a diet perspective or a consumption perspective. And when I say consumption, I mean I'm talking about food, but also education. And as far as you know, the the things that you have to learn to go on diets and the 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 restrictions that you go through. It's a lot more simple whenever you vertically integrate your understanding, your education and your intentions and your consumption into a, into a regenerative agriculture, because you don't have to worry. You, you make it a lifestyle that's not painful. It's very power empowering from the very beginning. Uh, I was talking to another doctor the other day, Phil, and what she does is she helps people get out of the food ditch, you know, a lot of the ways that you're doing. And she said, you know what, one of the best things is to, is to get a, you know, one of the people that I'm working with to, to just have them do a 48 hour bone broth fast so they can actually clear their brain out a little bit. And they can see that, you know, there is inflammation in their brain. There is something going on that they, they don't really fully are aware of. Once they get through that 48 hour fast, man, they have a new energy. They have a new direction. They have a new empowerment that they, you, they just never have been able to get there. If they've done the diets and they've done all these, whatever diets they are, it doesn't have to be this difficult. And it, it, there is a good jump off point that gets you there pretty quick. A bone broth fast. Mm-hmm. 48 hours. And this is from a various, very established doctor. You know, this is what she uses. And it, it is a lot of people overcomplicate our nutrition these days because our food systems have been overcomplicated and it's confusing. Let's lose the complication and the confusion. And let's just go and look for pure animal protein, animal fats, and start from there. You'll find your own protocol and your own algorithm of how you're going to, you know, obtain your dense nutrition that you've been lacking in your life. And if we do that, if we keep it simple and we keep it commonsensical, where you you're developing a relationship, you're not overly um, analyzing your calorie intake, all this other stuff. You're going to find people that have done the same thing that you're accomplishing, and you're going to see how well they're living these days, and the stories are going to spread. And it is. It's something that it takes off. It, it builds momentum. Yeah, and, you know, I think uh, Jack and I, you, we've talked many times about um, when I was, you know, writing my book and, and kind of conceptualizing my book, and I really wasn't sure how I was going to turn it into a book because, you know, it's basically just four words, eat whole real food. 
Um, and you see this over and over, you know, people come to me after they've uh, failed, you know, all of these diet plans. And, and I had the same experience myself, you know, all of these systems and counting points and, and macros and, and calories and, and this and that and apps and tracking. And you really have to get people to just step back and, and you know, kind of reset themselves and just, you know, get back to the basics. And I just, you know, you start with eat whole real food. And, you know, it, again, you know, how this how this relates to the, you know, to the uh, food production. Uh, and, you know, we talk about regenerative farming. And really all that is, is just getting back to the basics. Like, you know, before we got all this technology involved and before we, you know, thought we could build a better system than nature had built, you know, we have to remember that there were, you know, uh, yeah. uh, the the herd of ruminant animals that was roaming this country, uh, you know, uh, you know, 200, 300, 400 years ago was was 10 times the size that it is now and involved none of the management. They were just out there with their own system. And, you know, if we could get back to that system, basically, uh, we would be in a much better place. We'd be raising healthier protein uh, and we'd be producing it, you know, uh, probably at a lot more volume than we can today um, with all of the technology that we've inserted into the uh, system. That's so true. I mean, people always say, oh, we can't feed the world. Yes, we can. We, we've always been able to achieve that whenever we localize and decentralize our food supplies. Because each community, each geography of yeah. the United States is different. Everybody has different ways of stewarding those animals and stewarding the land. This is a lie that people try to you know, incorporate into the narrative, which is played out. The reason we monocropped was to make high profits in the chemical industries. And that's what they've done. And that's what's destroyed our soil. And it's, it's not something that we're going to just sit there and blame, you know, the chemical companies. What we're going to do is we're creating and innovating around what they're doing and the manipulation of what they're doing. And we're going to use the law and we're going to use a vertical integration that has been proven and has proof of work. And we're going to keep it, you know, locally and decentralized community based. And once this takes off, this is going to change the, the narrative. This is going to change the education process and what people are looking at of what health is you know people like dr phil here is very you know key in that because you know he he's gone through the process himself as far as um being able to speak to the truth into the proof of work that is required i i love this comment about eat you you were struggling with your book because it's really just four words, eat whole real food. And it reminded me of, of a parallel problem in an entirely different industry, education. Um, I've got four kids. My wife taught all four of them to read. No, she doesn't have an education degree. Uh, my ex-wife, actually, she didn't have an education degree. Uh, but she taught all four of my children to read. And what we discovered as, as these kids are, are growing about reading is that the education system has done a magnificent job of complicating a problem or complicating the solution to a problem beyond all comprehension. 
The English language has 26 characters and 42 sounds. Five-year-olds are memorization machines. So we teach them to memorize the 26 symbols and the 42 sounds, and then they just start putting it together. And you can teach an average intelligence child how to read the English language fairly fluently in about six weeks. And yet, mm-hmm. and yet they do it, you know, they, they, they've turned it into this massive machine that takes years and accomplishes literally, in fact, you know, what's the number of, of high school graduates who literally cannot read? It's, it's astronomical. So we see the same problem in lots of other places. I love the simplicity of this solution. Okay, I'm thinking there's a handful of categories of people who are, who are listening and watching. There's people like me who just want to eat well. So step one, as you say, is go meet your local protein producers. Um, I suspect there's another kind of people. There are probably um, people on the produ- somewhere in the production chain who are also asking, what can I do? How can I help reverse this mess at my position in the chain? Can you give us some ideas there? Talk to those people. As far as people within the production chain of our food, as far as like the vertical integration, what it is, what we're doing in 2022 is it is an education year. It is a production year. It is an awakening. It is an awareness year. What we have to do as individuals, we have to basically make those decisions that we're we're going to quit particularly participating in the consumption of the poisons for one, (laughs) you know, that's, that's one thing, you know, as far as, you know, going to the, you know, the, the mama bears, yeah, the mama bears out there, you know, let's not, let's not feed our kids this anymore. You know, that's part of the production model, you know, fathers, we need to, we need to get in shape ourselves. We need to have our own health initiatives. We have to, no matter who you are in this production chain and, and this consumption chain, you are the solution. I'm not the solution. Dr. Ovedi is not the solution. The individual is. And so anybody can contribute and how they can contribute is starting with the own production of their food for their family in a smart and an intelligent way that is a new form of food intelligence. We don't, this is not a black and white issue across the board. This is a lot of gray areas as far as, you know, your animal protein all the way to your produce and how you uh, market access your, your, your consumption model that you're, you're stuck in right now. So each individual has to become, you know, I know Adam, Adam Curry and, you know, with his no agenda podcast, it's very decentralized form of communication. Well, all of his listeners become producers and they contribute to the no agenda website and to the podcast. So we have to look at that with food too. We have to bring, I'm going to use the beef initiative as a portal to where people can come and they can tell their stories. There's a section within the beef initiative called mind your protein, where you can come, you can give a recipe, you can give a story, anything it is that you want to say, you can say it and you can be heard. 
and people can read your content. And if you're using somebody, if you're out there and you're one of the producers out there to say, if, if you're a rancher, then you come to the beef initiative, put your information into the producer section. And if you have, if Jack, if you have somebody that you meet, that is a great rancher that you're going to use for the next year or two, you can come to the beef initiative and you can put your rancher in there into the, the section of the producer section. That's how you're helping. That's how you're integrating this new form of food intelligence into this community and this network that we're building. Are most of these food producers, are they stuck? I'm thinking about these ranchers and farmers that I met at the farmer's market. Mm -hmm. Are they, do they largely just have very few options in terms of how to, to sell their product? Yeah. does yeah, the, they don't have that market access. Direct? Yeah, that market uh-huh. access is captured by the supermarkets and by the the food purveyors that, you know, do it in high volume that control the restaurant supply chains, the supermarket supply chains. You know, the, the, the independent f- local ind- uh, food producer doesn't have that market access. And that's why they're going to these farmers markets. Well, we're, we're going to change that with a new form of logistics and a new form of understanding that maybe I can go ahead and get my animal protein delivered to me, just like Amazon's doing with Whole Foods. We're, wow. we're hitting it on every front. You know, um, Will Harris with White Oak Pastures out in Georgia, he was the first person to start selling uh, Whole Foods grass-fed beef from the United States of America. He had to create his own market access, and he was successful at doing that. We can do that within our local communities. There's a there's a, a community called the Ogallala Commons, and they follow the Ogallala Aquifer here in the Midwest. They're building food sheds all across the Great Plains and then all the way down into Texas. What is, people, what is a food shed? A food shed is basically if you're a local producer, you're going to have it's it's like a meat market or a, a produce market where you can basically consolidate your local producers and they come there and maybe they sell twice a week. But when they do, they're feeding their local community. That stuff is happening across the United States right now in the beef initiative is letting that awareness kind of leak out in a way to where the individual in the community can start participating it but it takes them not going to that supermarket and buying the same products over it's going to take some intentionality it's going to take a lifestyle change that is empowering it's not a task it's something that you can build within your family you know you can take small vacations you can just re-educate your family what food really is yeah i think it's you know maybe important for us to take a little step back because you know many in the audience might not be familiar with those barriers that are in place between you know the rancher that raises uh the the cattle or you know grows the vegetables uh and you know the consumers that are looking for that you know healthy protein and and the produce um, and all of the barriers that have been put in between there and how, you know, the rancher can't just bring the, you know, sell the meat to me directly oftentimes. Uh, and the barriers that have been put in place in terms of getting that animal processed and then, you know, being able to sell, uh, you know, those cuts of meat uh, to the consumer mm-hmm. Um, there, there's been so many levels that have been put in there, so many barriers that have been put in there uh, that uh, really, again, only serve to, to you know, only benefit 
these large corporations and these these conglomerations now and the individual rancher and the individual you know consumer uh, are kept intentionally kind of kept apart from each other. And uh, perhaps you can go into that a little bit, uh, Slim, for our audience that maybe just doesn't yeah. realize all the steps that are in between, sure. you know, the cow being raised on the ranch and the meat showing up, you know, these days, usually in the supermarket. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's fascinating journey here of our protein that takes place right now. I'll, I'll hit this at two angles. Uh, basically, you know, if, if you decrease all the touch points that your food goes through and you're successful in doing that, you have two touch points, you know, in the rancher, your rancher providing his beef because he knows who the processor is or he is the processor. So you don't have to worry about it going and traveling and being shipped and anything. You have that relationship with your rancher where you go pick up your quarter of your cow, you pick up you know, your steaks, your, your beef box, whatever it is, you have two touch points with your food. Okay. <laughs> that's it. And, and you, and that's doable. And a lot of people don't understand that that is actually possible and you don't have to have any permission to do that. And the laws and the regulations are out there. You know, I'm working with uh, Jason Rick of Rick Ranch. He's out in Colorado right now, and he's going to uh, host our second conference this year. You know, he, he, he raises, he, he basically rebuilds the soil he raises the grasslands where he is. He he raises, he stewards his cow. He is the producer. He he basically revitalized the local processing center where he is outside in Crawford, Colorado. So he's processing his own meat. Whenever he gets out of that, he packages his own meat and then he delivers it to every one of his customers. Boom. There you go. And it, it, that's all you, it, it, once again, it's not that complicated. But whenever you, let's let's talk about the second type of cattle cattle driver that we have going on in the United States, it starts in Brazil. Okay, these cattle are raised in Brazil, then they're they're shipped up to Mexico where they're fed a lot of uh, GMO grain and from the the chemical companies and the grain companies, and you know they're they're fattening up these cows in Mexico, and then they come across the Texas border, and then they're basically harvested and processed in the state of Texas. And that's the beef that we get that gets shoved out to a lot of those supermarkets. It's our average beef basically, but it has USDA prime on it and everything since it was processed in the United States of America. Well, the beef that is a lot of the beef that is being grown in the state of Texas is, you know, prime beef. It is truly good beef, but it gets processed in the state of Texas and gets shipped overseas to places like China and Europe. Wow. And so Texans aren't even able to eat that beef, you know, get that beef. And that's not across the board 100 percent, but that's the majority of our beef in the state of Texas. People don't realize that the beef that you see, you may be driving down the road is not going to be the cow you eat. Your cow started in South America. And so you look at the touch points that is required for that beef to be raised and processed and then delivered to your table. You're looking at 13 to 14 touch points that you have no control over. That you do not know what that cow, where it came from, what it consumed, what chemicals was put into it. If it was, uh, you know, what type of cow it was, you don't know anything about its genetics. You don't know anything about the protocol or the algorithm that, you know, was created to raise that beef. 
So, you know, it's daunting to think about and, and they cover it up well with very good world-class marketing and, you know, certifications as far as what, how we label our food and it keeps people in the dark. That's why I say quit overcomplicating this, go out and find an animal protein producer and become friends with them and say, teach me, teach me and I'm going to teach you. And you're going to help me have a health initiative within my family and within my community. And we can leave all this world-class marketing of losing weight and nutritional value and everything, leave it behind and just try this out. Try it out for a half a year and see where you end up. I guarantee you, your life will change. Wow. You know, um, one of the things that has come out of my relationship with Dr. Ovedia is the the big chest freezer that's on my on my porch. Uh-huh. Um, I after after talking with him for a while, I realized I need to have a lot of meat and I need to have I need to have as much as fast as possible. So I went and bought a five or six cubic foot chest freezer that I've now got sitting out there on my patio. I can see it from where I'm sitting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I filled it with with cheap beef. Um, and one of the the things that just blew my mind, I, I just realized this literally yesterday. That right there is my grandfather's wedding ring. And um, I've had it sitting in a box for, well, quite some time. Um, I used to wear it on my left hand, which has a smaller joint than my right hand because I'm right-handed. And when I got married... I tried to put this ring on my right hand and it wouldn't fit. And I just assumed, ah, my hand's bigger. Well, several months ago, I eliminated most of the junk that Dr. O is telling me to eliminate. And uh, I grabbed this ring yesterday morning and slid it right onto my finger. My joints are smaller because I think it's because I, for all intents and purposes, eliminated grains from my diet and am eating a lot more beef. Um, so, you know, is that a scientific study? Absolutely not. But it was just really cool that I can, I can wear my grandfather's wedding ring again. And I attribute it to a reduced inflammation in my body because I didn't do anything else. I did nothing else. But this joint is actually smaller than it was. This ring wouldn't go over that finger, and now it does. So, That's the moral of the story: I mean, if you want to use, if you want to wear old jewelry, eat more beef. <laughs> it really, you know, it's impressive to me. Uh, you know, with the people that I work with, that when they take that step that Slim's talking about, that they go and they you know, find a better source for their protein. Um, What a predictor of success that is. Um, Because, you know, once you do that, you're going to think about all of the food that you're eating. You know, I don't know too many people who go out and they, you know, they source and they buy, a, you know, whether it's a half cow, quarter cow, whatever it is, a full cow. um, And then, you know, just go and continue to eat a whole bunch of junk food with that, you know, well-sourced protein. Because it, it just, it, it, the two don't go together. You don't accidentally sort of stumble upon, uh, you know, purchasing a, a half side of beef 
uh, and then just not think about all of the rest of the stuff that you're going to be eating with that. Um, and uh, so, you know, it, it it ends up being very powerful for your health. Um, and it's just that intentionality about what you're eating and that food sovereignty and that health sovereignty and how closely related that they are. Well, Slim, tell us about this uh, this uh, meeting, whatever it is that's going on in Kerrville in April. It's a, yeah, it's the first annual Beef Initiative Conference, and you know we have a, a heck of a lineup of speakers, all from um, from ranchers to animal protein producers to uh, communication people decentralized communication people all the way to uh, a doctor you know I'm, I've, I've asked dr uh, ovadia to speak at one of our other conferences we're going to bring nutrition uh everything that vertical integration that i've i've been speaking of we're going to be able to speak to it and we're going to educate people what that vertical integration is once we you know have that conference it's going to be you know something that people can take away with a call to action that they they there's something they tangible that they can actually reach out that next day and they can change their lives and they can start helping other people and, you know, then start spreading the word of the beef initiative of this overall health initiative that we're going to start across this nation. And we're starting with pure animal protein. So at that conference, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a lot of uh, education, which is the most important thing right now. We have to, we have to start step back, like Dr. Ovedia said, and we have to really, be willing to educate ourselves in a different way, point our companies a different direction and, and try it out. And that's what these conferences are going to be used to do. The education part of it from, from the soil to the grass, to the cow, to the producer, to the processor and how much we basically have leverage in the state of Texas to process our own animal protein again. And this is where this is going to where once we have that, then we have new suppliers, we have new market access that leads to, you know, basically human health and these conferences will be used to do that. We're hoping to, you know, have them filmed and where we have that video and audio content that we can use moving forward throughout the year and then in, in, in beyond. So we're covering all those touch points. So who's the, who's the right person to come to this conference? Anybody, anybody, if you're a rancher, come to the rancher because you're going to learn about Bitcoin. You're going to learn uh, that there's people out there that want to hear from you. Uh, the average mother that has children that's really trying to be very intentional about saving her children's lives with a new form of health and nutrition from somebody that is, you know, somebody's looking at their health, somebody that's had success with their health. Anybody across the United States should be coming to this conference. This is for anybody. This is about getting back to the source of the seed in which we thrive, in which our nutrition comes from. And this is this is going to build. This is something that we can do now, especially with the food supply chain shortages that we're going to have. We're going to have a food supply shortage. Yeah. We're going to turn beef into caviar. People need to pay attention to what, about their food again. It's easy to go to the supermarkets now and to have plenty of food in our in our uh, households. I think that's going to change. I think look at inflation. We have a fertilizer shortage. We have a grain shortage coming. We have supply chain breakdowns. There's there's something that we're not going to be, you know, people, you, you watch the mainstream media, all they talk about is food insecurity. Well, we're going to yeah. build food security right now, and we're going to start with the conference. I think one of the things, one of the messages that folks should take out of this is 
if you really are serious about your health, then you have to take control of not just what you put in your mouth, but how you source what you put in your mouth. Um, that, that became abundantly obvious to me that day I visited the the farmer's mm-hmm. market and, and met all those folks. It was just, it, it, it created this weird mental shift for me to realize that there's, I met six different people within an hour and a half or two hours drive of my house who spend their life raising animals that I, that I could I can eat, I can buy directly from them. And to know that I, I know the first name of the guy who raises the cattle that, that feed my family is it's a, it's an amazing feeling. It really is. And, and I, I'm healthier too, as a result of having started that. So, all right, very good. Um, anything else we ought to, we ought to, talk about before we wrap it up phil no i think uh let's uh make sure we can get all the links so people can uh find slim and all the great work that he's doing at the beef initiative find out how to how to uh register for the conference yeah we've got your we've got the contact info so go ahead and give us that again sure and how do folks talk find out about the conference find out about the beef initiative yeah the best place to go right now is to go to the beefinitiative.com the landing pages of the conference and then you can go into that producer section. You can go into the mine your protein section and the newsletters there as well. So there's a lot going on just at beefinitiative.com. And then if you want to follow me, all I do is use Twitter. I don't use any other social media, I think. <laughs> but it's uh, at Modern T Man on Twitter. If you use those two links, you can find out as much as you need right now. And you can reach out to me. You can DM me. You can email me through uh, the Beef Initiative. So there's plenty of contact information there. Very good. Well, I appreciate you coming back in and and, uh, letting us finish this conversation. Yeah, technology technology performed today. So, from everything I can see, we didn't have any problems. We'll see (laughs) once it once it renders. But right, no, I appreciate uh, you guys. Thank you, Jack, and thanks, thanks, Doctor Phil. We appreciate you being here with us. Yep, thank you, and it's a great conversation, and one that I suspect we're going to circle back to at some point in the future again. Yes, um, yeah. and we have a few other uh, guests lined up, lined up uh, along, uh, you know, similar topics as well. Well, and with with that in mind, I've looked at our upcoming guest list. You folks who are listening and watching, you're definitely going to want to to see some of these upcoming interviews we've got. I'm really excited about it. Um, you can follow Dr. Philip Ovadia on Twitter at iFixHearts. His uh, website is ovadiahearthealth.com. For Dr. Ovadia, for Texas Slim, I'm Jack Heald. This is the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast. We will talk to you next time. Chances are you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't need to change your life and get healthier. So take action right now. Book a call with Dr. Ovadia's team. One small step in the right direction is all it takes to get started. Contact us at ifixhearts.com slash talk. That's ifixhearts.com slash talk.